A reading from Zolani Casella. We get good at what we practice. Research now tells us very clearly what distinguishes amateurs from experts. It's the amount of time they spend practicing their craft. To become exceptional, you must do two things. First, you must practice with intention. You have to aim to become very good. If you set out just to know how to do something or do it good enough, then that's how good you will become. To become expert, you have to envision yourself as a master of your craft. Second, you must practice a lot and consistently. Studies show that amateurs practice about three times a week for about an hour per sitting. Those who develop into experts put in three hours a day, seven days a week. They become consumed with their craft. In addition, there is a magic number. Becoming an expert demands about 10,000 hours of practice. That's 20 hours a week, every week, for about 10 years. The notion of intentional practice also applies to how we become the beloved community. It's not enough to just say that we are post-racial. We have to practice being post-racial. It is said that if you're not on the court, you're not in the game. We have to put in the time on and off the court. As I said in my words for this offering, two weeks ago or so, I got a taste of what it is to practice becoming the beloved community. Practice and beloved community. Now, there are two concepts we don't often place beside one another, and yet this is what happened in Phoenix, Arizona, at the General Assembly. Now, I understand practice. I have been practicing practice from a very young age. As a young girl, I would sit in my bedroom for hours practicing G, D, A7, C major 7 chords on my little baritone uke, which is a little guitar. I would memorize the songs from the Folkways albums that my mom had purchased for me, trying to make myself sound like Odetta. <laughs> trying to make the earth rise up in my voice, just like she did. Now, this has become a bit of a family joke, given the fact that I was nine, trying to sound like a 40-year-old woman, African-American, born in Birmingham, who was referred to as the voice of the civil rights movement. But I was in love with her. I was in love with that sound. And I was intent on that vision of myself. Now, a lot of us think of practice as work, something our mothers have forced us to do after school 
or something our fathers insisted was, the only way you're going to get better is to practice. So sit down and practice. And begrudgingly, we sat at the piano, swam laps, memorized lines, worked problems. We practiced. But when love enters the picture, when love enters the practice, practice is no longer an obligation. Practice is not work. Practice is joy. Practice makes you feel good. It's something you long for. I was talking to Mark Anderson, a good friend and a great percussionist here in town, and we were speaking about practice. And Mark said, you know, whenever I listen to artists talk about their songwriting or their art as giving back to the community or connecting to their community, I always think they are missing talking about the real thing. He didn't say thing. He said something else, but I'm not going to say that on the chancel. He says they're missing the real thing. The thing that makes a kid disappear in a room practicing four hours is healing. He is healing himself. When we practice, we are healing ourselves. It feels good. This year, our Unitarian Universalist Association practiced. We practiced standing on the side of love. We practiced becoming a beloved community, a community built on a vision of profound relatedness, grounded in love and justice, a community of reconciliation, a community Martin Luther King Jr. called Beloved. Here's how it happened. Five or more years ago, a committee had recommended Phoenix as the city where we would hold our 2012 General Assembly. We booked the convention center, contracts had been signed, and then in 2010, Arizona passed SB 1070 a law that takes federal immigration policy and puts it on steroids. This law not only requires visitors or aliens to register with the U.S. government and to have registration documents in their possession at all times, but additionally, it requires that law enforcement officers check the legal status of individuals suspected of being in the country illegally during any kind of lawful stop, detention, or arrest, or when there is a reasonable suspicion that the individual is an illegal immigrant. This has not changed with the Supreme Court ruling. Now here's how it plays out. You have Maria Inahosa who will address our convention on Saturday afternoon, a noted journalist of NPR and PBS, realizing she had better bring her passport 
to Arizona because a driver's license is not enough to prove her citizenship. Or a young woman pulled over for driving three miles per hour under the speed limit and told to produce her papers. In essence, you are guilty until proven innocent because you have brown skin. SB 1070 legalizes racial profiling. Now, even if this seems reasonable to you, and to some it does, people say people are in the country illegally and they shouldn't be. Here is a place I think we can all agree that what is going on in the state of Arizona, in our country, is sinful. A violation of every principle we hold dear as Unitarian Universalists. Because of SB 1070, quotas for deportation set by the federal government and a growing privatized prison system, Arizona is in essence running concentration camps. I'm going to say that again. We are running concentration camps in our country. So in Phoenix, if you are so unlucky as to be pulled over for some traffic infraction and have brown skin and no papers, you are placed in Tent City. These are tents set out in the Arizona desert with no air conditioning. And temperatures have been measured at 145 degrees in these tents. I looked it up. You have no right to legal counsel unless you can afford it. I'll say that again. You have no right to legal counsel unless you can afford it. The system has no obligation to tell your family or your friends where you are. Beatings and rape are rampant. Food is often spoiled because of the heat. Inmates are fed twice a day. And if you happen to miss a meal because of a court appearance, too bad. You get fed once or maybe nothing. You are made to wear pink underwear and pink sandals to mark you and to humiliate you. These are the conditions not for convicts, but for people awaiting trial because they have brown skin. And if you doubt the veracity of what I'm saying to you, check out the website that's listed in your order of service especially the Ware Lecture that was delivered by Maria Inahosa, who has done incredible investigative work on this issue. So this is a situation for our friends, our fellow human beings, our communities of faith in Arizona. And the UUA had a decision to make. Do we walk away from contracts and boycott Arizona as many national human rights organizations urged us to do? Or do we go to Arizona as many local groups urged us to do and practice becoming the beloved community?
did that look like? What did it look like to practice becoming the beloved community? We put in the hours. We educated ourselves over a two-year period leading up to General Assembly in 2012. Hundreds of laity and clergy joined in protest in May and July of 2010, standing in solidarity with local churches and social action groups in Arizona. We put in the time on and off the court. We practiced with intent. When local organizers challenged us to join in the struggle and create a general assembly as a human rights convergence rather than the typical business as usual, we began to envision what that might look like. We envisioned a GA that was exceptional in its gestures for social justice. We didn't do our usual white dominant culture kind of thing and say, we know better than you do. Or we asked local human rights, and in fact, we asked local human rights and immigration organizations such as Puente, Somos, Arizona, Arizona Immigration Ministry, and our local churches, how do we stand in real partnership with you? We can deliver several thousand people. Where do you want us? Where do you need us to be? We're going to be there. Umpteenth hours of staff and volunteer was brought to bear, volunteer time was brought to bear on making this GA a justice GA. And right now, I want to thank Harlan Limpert personally for I know all the work he did. request from our local partners was this, stand in witness, stand in witness, denounce these practices of incarceration and deportation as people of faith. That's what we did. The culminating gesture of General Assembly was a protest at Tent City Jail. Before we even arrived on that Saturday night, the sheriff collapsed the tents and moved the detainees inside. He said he wanted to avoid demonstrations in the tents. I imagine this is probably true. I also think he didn't want 3,000 people to see what was going on. On the day of the upcoming vigil, we were told a counter-protest would be present and that they would be armed, as is their right in Arizona. This made everybody pretty nervous. Emotions were running high. UU Churches of Phoenix had worked closely with police to keep things safe, but I don't know, guys walking around with guns on the sidewalk, with or without police, makes me nervous. Waves of buses brought 2,500 Unitarian Universalists and friends outside of that prison. Things were peaceful. They were powerful and profound. We sang songs of protest on the bus and in the street outside of the prison. We sang until we were hoarse so that the prisoners inside would hear us. 
Heat rose up off the black pavement and people passed out hundreds of bottles of water and we prayed out loud for all those who would soon return to that oven called Tent City. As nervous as I was about the heat and armed counter-protesters, my concerns seemed pretty paltry. As I imagined what it would be like to live in this environment of fear that these policies and tactics have created for people of color in Phoenix. Some very, very brave souls with relatives inside the prison lined the sidewalks and joined us in the vigil. And as we left the protest, my eyes met several local protesters, and there were no words. I simply placed my hand on my heart and patted, and they did the same. Meg Riley, our dear Meg Riley, talks about an exchange she had with a bus driver as Meg thanked her for driving us to the protest, the woman responded, thank you, my husband is in there. Love entered our practice. And when love enters the practice, practice is no longer an obligation. Practice is not work. Practice is joy. Practice feels good. It's something you long for. We were all practicing becoming the beloved community. Over these past two weeks, I have thought so many times of this experience at Justice GA, and I wonder if we are willing to take another step to move so deeply into practice that we become not only practitioners, but artists of the beloved community. What would it look like to be artists of the beloved community? To be an artist is that illusory blend of skill and expertise while remaining open to the movement of the holy. That's what I call being an artist. The artist puts things together in new ways. The artist has the ability to complexify. That's what this sermon is called. Complexify. And this is a term that was created by Star King theologian Ibrahim Farajaji. To me, it means to see in constellations rather than straight lines, to make connections and create from a webbing of reality rather than a fiction of a pure or singular reality. To be an artist to break the heart open and create new ways of seeing 
and being. So what would that look like for us to complexify? As people of privilege, we have to open our eyes to the founding and the shaping of this country. All of us need to tell a more accurate story of our past and wrestle with the present reality of racism in nearly every aspect of our lives. If we want to speak honorably and creatively about immigration policy, then I think we have to start talking truthfully about the first illegal immigrations, immigrants of 1607. If we want to talk about building a new world, then we need to own up to the straining bodies of black and brown peoples, slaves or nearly so, who were cheated out of their birthright, their inherent worth as human beings in order to create this country. And that slavery didn't end with the Emancipation Proclamation, but continued under many different guises. Jim Crow laws and our justice system through the 1960s, and that slavery is practiced today in the human trafficking of sex slaves. If we want to practice becoming the beloved community, then white people need to find their voices and own up to the enduring benefits of unjust practices. In order to be artists of the beloved community, we need to see in constellations and create ways of being with one another that are truthful, uncomfortable, forgiving, grace-filled, healing. We're going to have to complexify. Friends, I've seen this. I think we're starting to know how to do this. And I am so filled with joy. We are practicing. We are learning how to practice. So let's embrace the real thing of practice that practice is a way of healing ourselves. We are healing ourselves when we practice, while we endeavor to heal the world. I pray that it will be so. Let the practicing begin. Amen.